Welcome to The Upshot, Multi-World Disc Golf's podcast about the latest in the disc golf world. I'm the publisher, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me is Josh Mansfield, and we are going to go down memory lane. Let's go back to 2018 at the Great Lakes Open. Listen. Now to our top story, America's game, disc golf. Number two ranked player in the world, Paul McBeth. Great Lakes Open on Saturday. Second hole, throwing uphill. Throws it past the basket on his second shot, then makes the eagle three. Macbeth, three under through two. False face must hide what the false heart doth know. Third hole. After a solid drive on the 915-foot par four, on Macbeth's approach shot, he nearly throws it in from over 250 feet. He's four under through three. I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. Fifth hole, Macbeth from 60 feet. Got it. Fair is foul. Foul is fair. Hover through fog and filthy air. He is feeling it. Tenth hole, Macbeth slips on the drive, didn't get the full turn he needed to climb the hill. With the strong slope, or Macbeth is going to smartly lay up his approach shot and will tap in for par. Only par the round. He's 10 under through 10. Things without all remedy should be without regard. What's done is done. 16th hole. Pressure mounting. Three holes for perfection. Par 3, 16th through the tight gap. Taps in for birdie. 16 through 16. Really After yourself. birdie and 17. Macbeth, 50 feet. Oh. Where shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning, or in rain? Macbeth, winner. Well, there it is. That is Sports Center's production of the Paul Macbeth 18 under round at 2018 D Glow, a historic moment that, you know, I, I think. It's easy to forget about at times with all the modern things that are going on, all the things we talk about. You know, we got the James Conrad shot at Worlds and all of the drama that's going on this year. And, and you know, it's just a couple of years ago that we saw one of the great rounds ever in the history of the game. 1108 rated, 18-under on a pro-level course. Uh, it, it's the kind of thing we, we might not see again for some time or maybe ever. And I think that the other thing that we forget sometimes as well is just, I mean, the kind of coverage that that was not just a, oh, by the way, here's your, you know, quick sports center flash that some disc golfer shot 18 under. I mean, it it was significant enough that the rest of the world took notice and that even though we have ESPN and I don't want to say we take them for granted, but this really was, I mean, an ESPN production that I think kind of helped elevate the game of disc golf in the, um, the eyes of the world in the same way that, you know, we feel that James Conrad's shot does today. So both for the sport in terms of the significance of the round, but also in just of the significance of the growth of the sport, this was, this was a huge event. And so Diego now kind of feels like it has uh, a little bit of almost like reverence around it. When you think <laughs> about that 18 under round and the, the impact that it holds for disc golf. Well, of course it's coming up this weekend. We're going to see the Great Lakes Open um, as the Disc Golf Pro Tour returns there this year for the, uh, what is that, the fourth straight year? It's to, been on the Pro Tour since 2018. And, you know, this is an event that's that's been running for quite, a, quite some time, but, you know, hasn't really been an elite level event 
for very long. You know, this doesn't have the kind of depth of history of some of the other stops on tour. Uh, it was a national tour event a couple of times over the last 20 years, but, you know, it wasn't a consistent stop. Um, and even when it's been on the Pro Tour, Josh, it hasn't always been the most well-attended event, uh, perhaps because of its spot on the calendar. You know, typically players are over in Europe right before this and often choose to skip this tournament instead of coming back and, you know, trying to get right back into the swing of things. Uh, and who can blame them? Like... You can spend you spend your July in Europe. That's that's nice. I wish I could spend my Julys in Europe. Um, but uh, you know, th- it's that eighteen under round suddenly like gives this tournament like some historic gravity that otherwise it, it it would not have, and it would be one of sort of the least weighty stops on tour. I think what's also interesting about the Great Lakes Open is. It's grappling with this dual identity because on the one hand, it's been, as you've mentioned, not the best attended event in the world. Uh, you, you've got those players over in Europe or, or just taking weekend off. And in because of it, it feels like its significance is somewhat diminished because I think in terms of elite series events, when you look at the names for back in 2019, for example, it's definitely, I would say probably, I mean, bottom five in terms of attendance from pros for the pro tour events. And so on the one hand, you have that, it feels like it's overshadowed a little bit, but on the flip side, thanks to one, the historical depth that you talk about that comes from Macbeth's 18 under round, but also I think just the nature of the course, the tournament and the way that it continually evolves, it also feels like it's grappling to be something bigger. I've always felt like the great lakes open can be a tournament that is a central point of the disc golf pro tour that revolves and that we talk about in the same way that we talk about like the MVP open or, or something of, you know, similar history that was developed through depth, through long-term attendance and being a significant event for a long time. It, it, it's not there yet, but I've always felt like it has that potential and that it's wrestling to establish that kind of identity in a way that feels more proactive than other tournaments. So I've always been conflicted about this tournament because I want to really care about it. And I think last year, thanks to COVID being, you know, just the only event at this time and because of the, I guess, slimmed down nature of the Pro Tour schedule, as well as this year, it feels like a really significant event. And I mean, we were talking about it. Everybody is there this weekend and it feels like anybody's game. Hey, we even get Chris and Tatar there this weekend, right? So this is as big as it gets for a Pro Tour stop. And, you know, in contrast to Des Moines Challenge, which was well attended, but definitely some people skipping, um, you know, whether to just take a little extra time off after Worlds or they didn't want to deal with the rain. Uh, this weekend, you see almost everybody in the field. People are back, right? This th- That's why I said this starts the second half of the tour. In my mind, this is the kickoff for the second half of the year. Uh, so it's going to be a very competitive tournament. I mean, going through, trying to make picks this weekend, particularly in MPO, very difficult, very difficult, because I think it's this course that a lot of the top players can score on and can be successful on. And we saw last year, you know, pretty tight race at the top throughout most of the tournament uh, and into the final few holes in the final round. So we'll get to our picks a little bit later on. Now, we're also going to talk with Nate Heinold, who's now the TD of this tournament. Uh, that's something that you know maybe you don't know or you forgot. Uh, he took over as tournament director. This was announced last winter. Uh, th- this tournament had a... There was a year, I don't remember when it was. I think it was two years ago, 
uh the td like got there was like some blowback from pros because the course wasn't very well set up and the td was like chilling not doing anything like out in a boat or something like that i don't really remember the details that well but you know now they have like a very serious tournament director and nate heinold who of course runs ledgestone uh you know just down the road and that i think is going to well, we'll see what it happens. I mean, I think it's going to up the the level of professionalism that we see here. And and I think you're right, Josh. I think that there's a push for this tournament to become kind of a cornerstone. And I think Toboggan as a course has the potential to be that, right? This is a very interesting course with, you know, an extreme amount of elevation change, a lot of hills, uh, very physical course. We talk about that every year. Uh, vicious rough. I mean, players are already talking about it on social media. Like, you do not want to get into the rough. There's thorn bushes. It's thick. Um, and uh, so we'll talk to Nate Heinold more about some of the changes that have come to Toboggan in a little bit. So, you know, when you look at the winners of, the, of this event over, you know, since it's been on the Pro Tour, uh, you got... Back-to-back wins for Paige Pierce the last two years, 2020 and 2019. Sarah Hokum won it in 2018 with a fairly slim field in FPO. Um, and Eagle McMahon won it last year in MPO with Macbeth taking it to two years prior. And of course, the 18 under in 2018 helped propel him to a win then. Um, and if you remember, that this was a very exciting tournament in MPO last year because uh it was like, I think it was a two or three way tie at the top heading into the final round. Kevin Jones caught crazy fire in the front nine. It looked like he was going to go win it and then had a, got a bad bogey on a very gettable hole and then like couldn't put together birdies for a couple holes in a row and ended up not quite being able to to close it out. And, you know, it's that's become a familiar refrain for Kevin Jones at times. But you got to love the way that he plays out here. I think he's certainly in the mix as a potential winner this weekend. Well, and even after the fall off in 2020, back in 2019, he was only one stroke behind Paul Macbeth. So it's obviously somewhere that Kevin plays well. And I remember I remember Kevin saying once that this is, this is a pretty important tournament and big tournament for him. And there's a reason that he makes the effort to be here year in and year out. And so I, I think... You know, I'd be interested in talking to Kevin after this week and seeing just, you know, after seeing how he plays, because it feels like Kevin wants this tournament. I mean, it, it feels a little bit like the monkey on his back that he needs to shake and that getting this win, even though he has won in the past, would be really significant for him. Um, but in terms of, of the Paige Pierce side of things, she's been dominant on this course. I mean, she plays it great. I think back in 2019, she won by something like 10 strokes. It was double digits over Katrina Allen. So, I mean, just just a dominant performance. Six and, strokes over Ellen Widboom last year. Yes. So both sides, I mean, she's just playing. She plays it very, very well. Um, it, it When you look at the names at the top, it feels like it, it's like it's Paul McBeth and Paige Pierce, right? It's the, the five-time shows. And... I think that that kind of demonstrates a little bit because when you have tournaments, I think of Waco, for example, where the winners are all varied. Uh, it, it changes year in and year out. I mean, it's a, it's a good tournament, but that kind of, I would even say inconsistency a little bit. Um, 
I think it diminishes the tournament in, in some ways in terms of its significance because it's like, oh, anybody could win Waco. And I watch it because anybody could win Waco. But in terms of t- you know talking about the gravity of this tournament, Paul McBeth and Paige Pierce show up to play at this tournament. And you know when they're playing at the top of their game. I think it elevates everyone else's game as well. So I think it's going to be a great weekend. I think so too. Looking forward to catching it all. Um, we're going to make our picks on the other side. First... I had a chance to catch up with Nate Heinel this morning, TD this year, and talk to him about some of the changes. Stay with us. You're listening to The Upshot. The Upshot is presented by Pound Disc Golf, makers of the best bags in the sport. Pound is consistently innovating. They're working on some new stuff right now. They've got a fly pack in the works, a full-sized carry-on bag with adjustable backpack straps, all of the pockets you could possibly need. It's going to solve all of your travel needs anytime you want to go somewhere. You don't have to check a bag. You don't have to pay for that. Just bring the fly pack. And how about the Rufus? The new smaller designed disc golf bag. It's the one I'm waiting for. They're in the works. Check out all the options that you can get right now at pounddiscgolf.com. Follow them on social media to see some of the things that they're working on. Joining us now on the Upshot is Nate Heinold, who wears a lot of hats. Uh, most notably this weekend, he is wearing the TD of the Great Lakes Open hat. Nate, how are you? I am uh, I am wide awake, so I'm doing great. So, Well, thanks for getting up early this morning to, to talk with me. Um, I, I know there's, there's kind of a, a bunch of topics I want to get to, but first and foremost, there's been a lot of chatter about the changes to the toboggan course, can you take us through what the notable changes are this year and uh, what you've heard from players so far? Yeah, the main changes, um, we eliminated the old hole five, which was kind of an uphill tunnel poke and pray shot. We eliminated uh, the old hole 14, which was a downhill, kind of pretty easy hyzer hole that kind of had a, a, a little bit of a fluky green per se. Um, so that, that allowed us to add two holes in the woods with the new five and six. We combined uh, 14 and 15 into a MPO par four. The FPO will still play the old 15. And then I added a new T to hole 17. Um, and that pretty much summarizes it. Um, so far, the the, uh, the feedback has been, I would say, I have not heard one complaint, basically. So very positive. Obviously, they hosted the U.S. Amateur event um, in June, and, and the feedback was very positive there. Um, but we have we have heard nothing but uh, very positive things. T-pads are updated as well. I, I hear they're concrete now. That is correct. That was a sizable expense that Discraft um, paid for, which was phenomenal. And that was one of the things when I took over the event that I really wanted concrete tee pads and uh, very happy they uh, were able to foot the bill for that. And the park allowed us to do that for what is essentially uh, an eight week course. Yeah. It's kind of amazing in a way that, you know, it's, a, a, it's not, maybe not quite fair to call it a temporary course, but one that's only used for these sort of high profile events, you know, to, to them to let you put concrete tee pads in the ground. What, you know, what, what, why did they agree to that? And, and does this maybe 
portend that this course will be open more regularly in the future? Well, my experience with Eureka really helped um, you know them do this because Eureka has concrete pads, you know, which we paid for, but that course is in the ground for eight days of the year. And so Toboggan's in the ground for you know eight weeks of the year, eight, nine weeks. And so um, it was easier to sell it because of the experience with Eureka and how many spectators you know come to that event. And Digla will have an enormous amount of spectators. And there is a fee to get into the park, and the park didn't pay for it. So when you add all those things together, it's right. enhance it's enhancing the event. You know, I had told the park long term, if they don't do this, we're not gonna host, we're not gonna be able to host this event, to be honest. I mean, the standards are changing. Rubber pads won't work. Um, and so they bought into that. In terms of the course being permanent, that will never happen probably. And that's because um, there are some restrictions on land usage there uh, because of erosion. And it's built on, you know, um, some kind of sand preserve. And there's concerns there. And they use the facility in the winter for, you know, the toboggan is really called that because they use it for massive sledding hills, which... I mean, they're amazing. And in the winter, watching Easy kids to imagine, fly down. having seen the course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, you know, so that won't happen. But, you know, I think it was in the ground. It'll be in the ground for, I think, 10 weeks this year, actually, maybe 11 weeks now that I think about it. I think it was open third, fourth week of May. And so, yeah, probably nine weeks. So how many spectators are you expecting this weekend? I mean, I would say we have the amateur side, that's 500 players. A lot of them, I think, will come out. But on the other side, we've sold out of VIP passes and weekly parking passes. I would say, you know, over 3,000 for sure. Wow. That's amazing. Um, how, much are, how, much are, how much are tickets to get in? Uh, it's just $10 a day. And then a weekly parking pass gets you a disc and a shirt, and that's sold out. That was $35. Uh, you do have to pay to get into the actual Metro Park as well. Um, so there, there's a fee to get into the Metro Park, which does offer a bunch of other amenities. I mean, it, it's a 4,000-acre park. And so um, so there is a fee to get into the park and then a fee to get into the disc golf event. So you were, you were announced as TD for this tournament, uh, taking over as TD uh, last winter. And so this is your first time running it. Uh, how has this experience been similar and, and or different to your time running Ledgestone? I mean, obviously, the main difference is that I'm six hours away. And, you know, if I see a concern, you know, I can drive out to Eureka or Northwood and look at it and, and tell my guys to do something here. There's some Facebook video chatting with Bob or with some guys on the ground and I made several trips up here. So that's really the biggest difference is that, you know, when, for instance, when we were doing the concrete pads, I mean, I pretty much spent one full day in my office looking at my phone saying, okay, you have that, you know, pad pointed, you know, two degrees the wrong way. And I'd go and draw it in my graphics program and redraw it for them and send them a picture back. And so, you know, that was uh, that was the hardest project was the concrete because that was three and a half days and I wasn't there. I was there right before they did it. And then I wasn't there when they poured it. So. Got it. Now, one other course change I wanted to just chat about briefly is that uh, a, a solid amount of OB has been removed. 
what was the driving force behind wanting to take out some of the OB that, uh, you know, has kind of been a, a part of this course for a while? Yeah, I would say, you know, I think people assume that I, I love out of bounds. And, and the reality is, is that that's not the case. I just want bad shots to be punished and good shots to be, re, you know, rewarded. And so with Eureka, out of bounds is necessary. You know, they're in a lot of places with Toboggan. They have significant rough and in the means of the the Russian olives. And it's very thick this year. In fact, I, I played one round and um, my legs were full of scratches from, you know, my, uh, my shot 150 feet off the fairway on, you know, uh, on 15. So, um, so that was really the, the, the mindset behind that was this course already has natural OB. I want to remove it as much as I can. Uh, I don't want any mandos. I don't want any, you know, drop zones, just as little OB as possible. So basically the only OB is just separating a couple fairways. Safety things. Um, how, like what's the current state of course design in your mind? You know, this is like a pretty big set of changes for this course. How do we start to go from the courses of the past to the courses of the future, even if that means retrofitting existing tracks? Yeah, that's tough because the disc technology has required some of these changes. And, you know, when I built Eureka several years ago, it was one of the hardest courses and longest courses in the world. And now it's at 9,200 feet. It's not even, it's not even close. You know, I mean, Toboggan's 10,500 feet and it's an open air course for the most part. Northwood Black, which will debut next month in the woods is 10,500 feet. Um, and so we can't, I mean, there's only so much more distance we can add to these courses. And so long-term, you know, the courses are probably going to be, you know, I mean, I, I know the trend is going to golf courses, but you know, that's not as exciting to me, to be honest. I mean, there are good golf course designs and then there are, you know, I mean, we don't want an 18,000 foot disc golf course, to be honest. So <laughs> I think, you know, long-term that may be changing the size of the green, right? You know, it, it may be, you know, I don't want to say more OB, but I think the bottom line is as long as we can continue to make sure that bad shots are punished and good shots are rewarded, I think that's what we'll say is a good design. What's the future of Eureka? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty landlocked there. So the future there is uh, the course has not seen any changes for a few years now. Um and it will probably remain that way. I mean, I would say the course is definitely not easy, um, especially if it's windy. But if the wind is down, then, yeah, it's it favors people like Paul and Ricky and Eagle and Simon who can throw far with a hyzer. Um, but if the wind is up, you know, people will be shooting over par there. And and so, um, so yeah, Eureka is still very firmly part of uh, the plan for Ledgestone indefinitely um, because really it just offers a lot of amenities and viewing areas and the spectator experience and the infrastructure and parking availability. When you look at a venue, you know, you really have to look at not just the course and if the players love the course, if it's great, but you have to have 
room for player parking and spectator parking. And I mean, at Worlds, we had 2,100 spectators in one day. And so we, we had enough to park that many people. Not many venues can do that. Let's go back to Toboggan. What makes Toboggan unique or special on tour? Yeah, I would say, obviously, the elevation changes. You know, having to learn to throw downhill 480 feet and throw, for me, a fairway driver. So for some of the top guys, a putter, right, or a, a mid-range. Or the middle stretch of the course, there are some par threes that are, you know, 350, 370. Well, they play like 480 feet because of how uphill they are. And so really, it's just learning the elevation um, seeing the elevation, but the reality is Toboggan is known for just these massive elevation changes. And that's what makes the course. I mean, walking that course is like, walk, you know, climbing a, a small mountain, to be honest. So you, uh, you know, you've obviously you're affiliated with, with the uh, PDGA. You, you've run tournaments for many years as a TD what does it look like to work with the Disc Golf Pro Tour, which you've done for a few years now, uh, you know, versus what does it look like to run a tournament uh, with the PDGA and like a national tour level? Yeah, I mean, I've been with the Pro Tour since the beginning. You know, it was Steve Dodge and I and, and then Jeff that kind of forged the original vision. Um, and, you know, I ran, I, I started that after my experience running a national tour, which I think the PDJ would even tell you didn't go amazing, you know, and so my, my first NT. Um, and so, um, but then I ran worlds and, and that was a great experience. Um, you know, the PDJ is very focused on, you know, you know, the competition where the pro tour at the time was focused on competition and the spectator experience. So, Really, that's been, you know, at the, at the time, you know, many years ago, that was really the main difference was, you know, the pro tour was really out front of, you know, spectator areas and VIP areas and charging for admission where the PDJ was mainly, we just have to worry about the course. And now the pro tour has really elevated their game to say, we are, you know, we have all these facets going for every part of the experience for pros and protecting them. And so I think the, the pro, the pro tour has raised the bar for sure. And the, and the PDGA is um, going to work very hard to, you know, get to that bar and above it for the majors, to be honest. The summit this week, I don't know when it started and when it ends, what, uh, you know, what has, what can you tell us about what's gone on in the summit um, and, you know, what's been discussed? Uh, the summit was Monday and Tuesday um, and it was a closed session. So it was only the board and a very select amount of staff members. Um, so really there's nothing I can actually uh, share because, and I'm sorry, the sun is literally blinding me right now, but um, there's, there's nothing I can really share because it was closed, but, uh, I, I think some information from the summit will probably come to light um, later in, in August as we, because we will release, um, even though it was a closed session, we will have some, uh, you know, some minutes approved that will come out. And I think some stuff will come out after our August board meeting 
with some you know more information. So so really, unfortunately, not much to share there. Fair enough. Uh, what are you most looking forward to this week? You know, I'm excited to see uh, players play hole five. It was kind of when I first the the new hole five when I first went out to this property for the redesign. We looked at some wooded land there, and I just was I just I wanted to put a hole there, and uh, it worked out just amazing. And and then at the last second, I was standing there I think on Saturday and said, "Let's line the fairway with red mulch," and so. We did it, and I took a picture and sent it to Bob, and he said, you're rolling out the red carpet for the players. And now people have been you know, posting it on Facebook, and that's neat to see because it was really just a random idea at the last second saying, let's line it with mulch. And you know, it's kind of – it's probably going to be the signature hole in a lot of I – mean, Jordan Castro has already called it one of the best holes ever, and Trevor Harbolt said the same thing, and I know Paul likes it, and so – um, you know, it's, I mean, I don't like it cause it's too hard for me. I mean, I can't even get a disc down to the green probably. So, you know, but, um, it really is going to be a fun hole to watch, uh, them throw. You, that's the, that's the next trend in course design, Instagram friendly <laughs> holes, whatever that means. <laughs> no, um, I'm, are, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm already thinking about what I can do at Northwood to make something like that because it, it it's, uh, it, it is cool to see those kind of viral moments. Absolutely. All right. Well, Nate, thank you so much. Looking forward to watching the tournament this weekend and catching up with you before Ledgestone as well. Yep. Thanks. Nate Heinold with us here on The Upshot. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Upshot. Thanks again to Nate for stopping by and, uh, Josh, I didn't want to make you get up at the, you know, it was still night when uh, Nate and I sat down. Like the sun got in his eyes as the sun was rising. So uh, for for you out in mountain time, I said, you know what, I'll take this one. Um, but I know you've had a chance to hear what he had to say. Uh, thoughts on the course changes, first and foremost, Toboggan making a number of updates, changing a couple of holes, adding new concrete tee pads getting rid of a lot of, a lot of the uh, OB lines. Thoughts? Uh, a couple of them. First one in terms of like the tee pads, I know that uh, I've always recognized at Great Lakes Open that they've they, they've always teed off onto the sides of the tee pads. That was allowed because of just how bad the tee pads were in the past. And so, you know, the concrete tee pads, I think, are an excellent addition. That I mean, when you if you look at hole 18, I think 18 is the perfect example when the players can slide three feet over to the left or four feet, that changes that line. Like it, because that first initial gap is so tight to be able to slide over a little bit is a huge difference. And so I think that, you know, putting in the tee pads, make them shoot the shots that, that they need to. And I think that also in terms of like player safety, just making sure that they have good footing, uh, both are just huge upgrades for this tournament and making sure that, I mean, it's it's one of the standards that I think was criticized a little bit at Worlds that I'm not going to get into too much, but I think is going to become a very much permanent fixture of the tee pads must be of the highest quality for any Pro Tour event, Elite Series event moving forward, because I just don't think teeing off on the side of tee pads is going to be uh, the norm moving forward. Yeah, or having mixed tee pads or having, yeah. you know, uncomfortable tee pads like... 
yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's always going to be some variance in what's allowed in different places. So you have to figure out what's going to work. But I think, you know, rubber's got to go. And if you're going to use turf, it needs to be really good. Um, and as much as possible, you want to have concrete. Um, now, here's what I think is really interesting. Nate talked about how they're not going to ever make this into a permanently open course. And yet they allowed them to pour tee pads. So think about why. Disc golf is getting to the point where the money is legitimate enough and the the importance of having a large-scale event with, as Nate estimated, 3,000 people at it is a big enough deal that they say, okay, we're going to let you pour concrete tee pads in a space that we're only using for two months out of the year. And then it's no longer a part of the scene. So that's amazing to me. And it shows you the growth of the sport, right? There's enough clout now to say, like, look at all this money coming in that's going to pay you to park and you're going to get this big fat check. And this comes because we have this event here. And if you do not let us do this thing, we're not going to put the event here. It's like a small scale version of when an NFL owner says to a city, pay for my stadium or I'm going to Vegas. And not that I really agree with that. Right. I don't think public funding should go towards <laughs> NFL stadiums, but this is the same kind of game that gets played at the highest levels of sport where it's like you're going to make millions of dollars in revenue for all the people who come here and go to the hotels and eat at the restaurants. You have to, you know, have some skin in the game. That's what we're seeing here, obviously in a small scale, but it goes to show you the growth of the game. I think as well that as public, or those, you know, kind of park systems are, and, and events like D-Glow are something that are kind of the blueprint for probably the best way to do this moving forward. It's not taking public courses like Fountain Hills uh, at Memorial, for example, that you can't close to spectators and you... Uh, you know, it's, it's a, feels like an outdated course in terms of the level of the pros. You take something that is on this private property, uh, well, not private, but you know, it's not a permanent course that then you that install, put it together, run it for those eight weeks or however long, and then be done. And it's curated around the pro tour. I mean, this is an ideal world where we don't own the land. We don't have to pay for the land, but we have access to it for long enough to run what is a pro level event and have the necessary kind of facilities, including the tee pads, that that's something that's possible. So I, I think that this is honestly probably an ideal world into how we can move forward. And I think that's also demonstrated by the ability of Nate Heinold to come in and make changes to the course in a way that I feel like elevates it to a higher level in terms of the, the pro game that we see today. What do you make of the fact that Nate Heinold basically got handpicked to come and start running this tournament? You know, I think that Nate Heinold is demonstrating the future of full-time TDs that if this goes super well for him and already like getting the tee pads, for example, huge win. I mean, the work that he must've done to do that is, is significant. Uh, 3000 spectators, like if they manage this well and, and granted it still, ha I mean, he still has to pull off a successful tournament. Um, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't, but Ledstone has always been a cornerstone of the tour. It's always been something that is a significant event. I think it has the history um, that Deglo is, is missing just a little bit. Nate Heinold has run Ledgestone, I think, 
excellent. And for him to get picked and called and brought over to then do D-Glow, that's what it looks like. It's finding TDs like Nate Heinold and next year for Worlds, wherever it may be, calling Nate Heinold and saying, hey, we want you to run Worlds. I mean, that that's, I think, the future of TDs. I think it's the future of Elite Series events as well. And I think Nate Heinold is kind of our model of kind of what that looks like moving forward. You know, you also have Kale, LaVisca, and the mm-hmm. Airborne Preserve, you know, actually going all the way and saying, I'm going to get this land and I'm going to build Disc Golf Course on the land. Somebody emailed us, Black Bear 2.0 layout now put down. This is going to be this year's Pro Tour layout at the Preserve. And this is something that I think is really exciting. TDs not being comfortable saying, well, this is the course. This is, you know, like they could have just put in new tee pads and people would have been happy probably mm-hmm. that they just put in new tee pads. It's like, oh, that's a nice upgrade. But they goes in and he says, this hole sucks. This other hole sucks. Let's get rid of them and build new holes. And now you have a pole five, this tunnel shot that's extremely Already, players are talking about how great it is. We haven't even played the tournament yet. And, like, you're taking the weakest hole off, and you're adding a hole that people are saying is one of their favorites on tour, not just at the course, on tour. That is that is a good thing, right? This is what we want to see. We want to see courses actually moving forward and, you know, take out the weak parts and put in something better. Now, that's not going to be possible everywhere, but I think this is the kind of updates that you need to see from all levels of elite tournaments, right? It's not enough to just say, well, we have a, you know, a historic course. So, you know, this is, we're going to just accept the fact that three of the holes on the course are bad. <laughs> no, we have to, we have to modernize. I mean, Nate talked about how Eureka used to be the longest, hardest course on tour, and now it doesn't even like chart in the top 10 because it's short, frankly. Mm -hmm. So think about that, right? Things change, and they change fast, and they're going to keep changing because, you know, as we've talked about, you think about the players coming up now, they all have an elite backhand, an elite forehand, they can putt, they can do everything. You're not going to see lots of specialist-type players in the future because they're coming up at... 15 years old, learning how to do all of the elements of the game. And that's going to lead to, again, you know, it's going to get increasingly difficult to challenge the top players. And you, the people who are designing the courses have to understand what it means to have players who can throw 550 or 600 feet. That's a challenge in its own. Can you envision what the hole is going to play like for an elite player and not for somebody who's decent so that i think is very fascinating um and it's exciting to see that there's been you know some real thought put into how to make this course better and toboggan was already i think seen as one of the better courses on tour i mean it's definitely it's it's got its its own flavor uh with the big downhill tee shots and uh you know the very interesting I mean, it's a disc golf course, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's There's a lot of open shots, but it's not a golf course. It's a disc golf course. And I think that, that makes it uh, a fun stop on tour. So time to get to our picks. Let's do it, Josh. This is not easy. <laughs> I think picks are getting harder every week, it feels like. 
Um, I had to leave out three or four players from my top five in MPO that I really wanted to put in. So uh, let's kick it off with FPO. Go for it. All right. Paige has been dominant on this course, and I, I just I see no reason why she shouldn't continue that. So I, I've got Paige at, my, at the top of mine, uh, taking the number one spot. Number two, though, uh, you know, because even in not COVID years, you typically don't get the European players here. So I want to make the pick Kristen Tatar at number two while she's here. Uh, I think she can play really well, but we don't really have a history of the European women on these courses as much. So I, I think Kristen's a great pick. I think this is a course that's going to set up well for her game. I, I hope so. And if she's been improving the putting, if she's been here on tour, I think that she is could even challenge Paige for the win. Like it would not, I would be excited. It would, and I think it would be really cool to watch. Uh, I've got Katrina Allen in third. Lisa Fakus in number four. Okay. It feels, I mean, we talked about it. Deglo's rough is excruciating. And if she can stay out of it, if she can just stay in the fairway, I think then that she has a real shot at playing very well and easily making the top five. Um, pick number five, Haley King. Um, I think Haley King's good in the woods. No reason not to, to think she can continue that here. I am also taking Paige Pierce to win this thing. Um, uh, you know, the it's a fresh start for Pierce coming off not winning Worlds, not winning Des Moines. It's a course that sets up really well for her game. And I don't really know how you pick against her, to be honest. Uh, I've got Haley King in the two spot. I've got Katrina Allen rounding out the podium. Kristen Tatar for me in the four spot. And I've got Jessica Weiss in fifth place. Weiss... Weiss is playing pretty good right now. She just finished mm-hmm. second at Des Moines. She's played well here in the past. Um, I actually won't be surprised if she finishes higher than five, but uh, I think the four players in front of her are just the best setup to have success out at Toboggan. All right, Charlie, I'll through, for MVO. I'll take you through my MPO picks. Here we go. I'm going to start with the bottom this time. Uh, at number five, I have last year's champ, Eagle McMahon. Look. I'm throwing darts here. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I, I wish I could tell you that I like had some special insight into this tournament. But when you look at the way that it's gone, it's like anybody like there were four or five players that could have won it last year. And it feels even more tight at the top this season so far. So your guys is as good as mine. I've got Chris Dickerson in the four spot. Calvin Heimberg in the three spot, uh, who I'm not going to pick twice in my top five. For those of you who noticed during Des Moines, I picked him twice. That's how confident I was. I don't know what was going on. Calvin Heimberg in the three spot. Kevin Jones for me in the two spot. I really gave him consideration for winning this thing. He's played really well here last couple of years. Uh, I think very much, you know, was in a great position to win in 2020. Couldn't pull it off. I will not be shocked at all if he wins it, but I am taking Paul McBeth to go back to back. And I mean, Macbeth's just in great form right now. Like, let's be honest. You know, if 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 Macbeth had won Worlds, everyone on the planet is picking him to win this tournament this weekend. And remember, he basically won Worlds, and then James Conrad miracled it. So, and you know, and he looked great at Des Moines. So I'm taking Macbeth. There's my picks. And number five, I've got Calvin Heimberg. Again, I'm in the same spot. I'm throwing lawn darts, at this, like throwing darts at this point. I've got no idea who's gonna take this. Like, 
I I sat there and then I looked at the the names I left off and was just like, yeah, I, I, could... I don't I don't have Ricky Wysocki in my top five. <laughs> what? Like, I don't even I want to put Adam Hammes in my top five. I, I can't give everybody a top five spot. That's not how it works. If if my if our top fives were completely wrong or like one out of five were in the top five, I wouldn't be surprised. No, I would be like, surprised. You'd be okay, surprised maybe surprised. But but like I mean, if you had on your side, I mean Ricky, Adam Hammis, Kyle Klein, if that was your podium, Gavin Rathbun, Gavin Rathbun, Raven Newsome, <laughs> like <laughs> there's a lot of great players. It's true, it's true. So anyway, Calvin Heinberg at five. I've got Paul McBeth in number four. Um, I, I think I think that the uh, the king eventually has to come back down to earth, uh, and uh, I think that this this People weekend been might that be for the a one. decade. <laughs> that's true i mean fourth place is still uh below his standards right <laughs> um i've got eagle mcmahon in third so a little bit higher up i think you know he's played well i did not leave ricky out of my top five i've got him in number two uh i think that this course rewards circle two putting it does uh it, it's one that some holes you just are, are just simply playing for circle two and then going for the putt. And I mean, Ricky's a great circle two putter. Uh, I mean, all these guys are great circle two putters, but Ricky as well. But the one who is known for the circle two putting, who would prefer mm. to be 11 meters instead of 10, mm. the monkey on his back, Kevin Jones. I've got him to take it down this weekend. Um, there it is. I hope you're right. I, I kind of want to see him win it. <laughs> I, I think it'd be sweet if he did. Um it should be a fun one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, let's let's get ready to go here. Uh, it starts July 23rd. That is tomorrow, Friday, uh, from when you're listening to this and runs through the weekend, just a three-round tournament. And it will be, uh, you know, the, the whole the whole show for this Golf Pro Tour. Jomez is back. Um, MPO Chase will be on Gatekeeper. FPO will be on GK Pro. And it will be live on the Disc Golf Network. So uh, looking forward to catching up with you all about it next Tuesday as we you know, roll on here on the upshot. Oh, I almost forgot. Before we sign off, we got to do our over-under for the week. So here it is, Josh. I'm picking it this time. For the winner in MPO, over-under on 45% circle two putting percentage. For the winner of the tournament. On the weekend, right? On All the three weekends. rounds. All three rounds. Okay. Forty-five feels really high. I and I just said about how important circle two putting is. I'm taking the under. I'm gonna go under on the forty five percent. So and right now, record stands at three to two. You're winning. I think that's right. Okay, we got to keep track. Yeah. At the end of the year, there'll be some sort of there'll be some sort of punishment for the loser. <laughs> um, I saw one recently, a punishment for some lost thing. It was you have to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House, <laughs> but you can you can cut an hour off of your time for every waffle that you eat. I think the guy ate eight waffles and spent 16 hours there and said it was like the worst day of his life. <laughs> Charlie, so I, don't know. We'll, I don't think it'll be quite that that brutal, but we'll come up with say, something. 
Neither of us live near a Waffle House, though. Yeah, where's the nearest Waffle House in New York City? I actually don't know. That would be extra you, brutal. You have to you fly know, cross country to go to Waffle House. <laughs> is there one near USDGC? We I'm could, sure there is. We could call it at USDGC, and then you have to spend the entire day after USDGC in a Waffle oh, House if God. you lose. <laughs> well, if you have ideas for us, folks, upshot@oldzero.com. Um, so there it is. I take. I'm taking the over. As a result, Josh is taking the under 45% circle two putting for the winner in MPO. Uh, quickly, congratulations to Kona Panis and Colton Montgomery. They got engaged. Hopefully, you saw the videos, like a little in the bag thing. Uh, you know, just like everybody's favorite disc golf couple. I feel like, and uh, so now they're engaged to be married. So congratulations to them. It's a really cute video. Video if you haven't seen it, it really good. Don't make sure you've got onions nearby so you have an excuse. It's a little, <laughs> little teary eyed. It's it's a tearjerker or heart jerker. Send us in any thoughts that you have about the way the tour's going right now. Um, you know, thoughts on our bag for segment from last week. By the way, uh, if you're not already a subscriber, you wouldn't know this, but. We uh, our our subscriber bonus segment this week is uh, talking about strategies for building a bag. Kind of following up on our show from Tuesday, where we went in our bag. Uh, we talked about how our bags are different and ideas for how to 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 build it properly. So, if that's something that's interesting to you, you can become a subscriber for less than four dollars a month at discgolf.ultiworld.com/slash/subscribe. So that is going to do it for our show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. For Josh, I'm Charlie saying so long, and we'll talk to you next week right here on The Upshot. The Upshot.